Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty Podcast. My name is Nate Nathaniel Paul Thurston, and with me, as always, is Charles Chuck Thompson, right across from me at the news desk. How's it going today, Chuck? Well, I got a little problem with my, is it bionic ear? Your bionic ear? Yeah, biblionic. You do have a fake ear, that's right, yeah. It's giving me a little feedback it's got this weird little buzzing. You know when you have a... Well, you remember when you were in high school, you had those subwoofers and stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And you remember when you blew a tweeter? In my ear? No, in the... Oh, in, in the your, sub. In your yeah. speaker, yeah. Yeah. You blow one of them tweeters, man. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like in my right ear right now. Must be some kind of conspiracy. I'm getting some signals into yeah. the, my titanium. Well, you got the titanium in there. They also put a microchip in there when they put it in. Oh, and the and NSA is tapped in. I didn't realize to that. To the thing that's inside your ear now. Yeah. So mm-hmm. everybody's scared about getting them chips. I already got one. Uh, we all carry around our chips every single day. That's why I never really understand why everyone's like, oh, they're going to put chips in you. Like, dude, you carry around your microchip voluntarily every single day. They didn't have to. You know, they don't need anybody. to put it in your body. <laughs> you you're you're you voluntarily are gra- just grasping onto your microchip at all times. And if you, you can't won't get let it one, go. Obama gave everybody one. Get Obama so chips. <laughs> so that's how you have it. Yeah. So anyway, this is the Good Morning Liberty podcast. We talk life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week when we want to. Hey, Wes says Kanye Nate 2020. I'm, I'm open to running. But then if he is president, how are you going to be president? Well, yeah, I can't talk about that right now, but I bet... You know, we'll work it out. We'll work yeah. out a way. You know, being a VP is one of the best ways to make yourself president someday. So <laughs> I think it's a pretty good long-term plan. Kanye, I know you're listening. Hit me up, man. Yeah. Nate at goodmorningliberty.us. I'll do it. So subscribe to the podcast. Like 96% of the people who listen to this podcast, subscribe to it. 96% of the people have decided that they're going to make their lives better by listening to this Galdern podcast every single day of the week when they want to. And you should too. Don't be part of the horror percenters, okay? And then tell a friend because... The only thing we can do as liberty-loving individuals, like we're we're not just going to go exert force over a bunch of other people to get our ways. That's that's not how we roll. So the only thing we can really do is make sure that we're getting the right information out to the right amount of people. Go vote. I do think that you you should vote and have your vote counted, even though it's a sham. Go vote for someone. You know, put your name down. 46% of the population doesn't vote. And probably if those people voted, it could be better. Maybe. Could be worse. And you would have to say at least half of those people are probably libertarians or lean libertarian. Everyone deep down at their own house is a libertarian. if If we keep making this message mainstream and we keep talking about these ideas that make the most sense then I, more more of those people will catch on. And I think people want to actually see change. But then again, people, it also has to affect people's lives in a, in a way that, you know, in, enrages them enough to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, what's the incentive for getting up to vote if nothing's affecting you? You're like, well, I don't care. I still got well, my job and my kids are still going to a good school. And that's the voter problem. If you, if you watch the, um, the learn, I believe it's the learn Liberty channel. If you go to YouTube and watch that, um, it's got, uh, the guy from Fee, I believe, is on there and he gives a really good talk about how the incentive to go vote is higher for people who are looking to receive something 
you know, from that voting. So like if, if you're worried about your taxes going up 5% or something like that, and it's going to cost you, you know, just a little bit more every once in a while, your incentive isn't as much to go vote. But if you're someone who can be receiving money from that taxation going up, your incentive is a lot higher to go vote. So the incentive process is always towards people who think they can receive something, receive something from the actual voting process. Mm -hmm. And it ends up skewing in that, in that direction over time. Whereas other people are like, well, is it really worth my time to go wait? My candidate's probably not going to win, blah, blah, blah. There's not really a ton of incentive to go vote. So anyway, go well, vote. There's not a lot of stuff that we can do as individuals. Well, but and we have to make this idea cool enough. Yeah, it gives gives people the incentive. I was having a conversation yesterday. My brother posted this awesome meme uh, that basically said that uh, if you're it, the meme basically said it was a very condescending meme. It was like if you are uh, just posting famous black people that disagree with the current narrative, um, using that for your own confirmation bias instead of reading uh black people with PhDs who are experts in their subject, then you're not listening. You're just trying to confirm your bias essentially. Yeah. And I was like, well, what about if you read black people with PhDs that have uh, disagreeing opinions like Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams? Yeah. Who are, I mean, Thomas Sowell, by the way, uh, graduated magna cum laude, which is like one of the highest honors you can get. It's a, it's a perfect GPA from Harvard, by the way pretty good yeah he started he he finished out at harvard um and then he got his master's at columbia and then he got his doctorate at uh, chicago university of chicago so it's like and if you read those guys and what i was saying on the post was like well you're you have this what's so funny is like you have the exact same confirmation bias yeah like you're not you're just you're posting, not gonna read walter williams or thomas soul because they don't agree with your grand narrative you're just posting black people with phds that confirm your biases exactly that's that's all you're doing yeah once you post some martin luther king you know I and mean, he was he was a doctor junior martin luther king jr had more writings i think than his father did yeah martin luther king jr yeah, yeah sorry yeah. sorry <laughs> my bad the, oh junior the younger one right anyway which we'll be talking about here in a minute because one of the things that he said that people need to realize we'll be talking about terry cruz here in a minute and going a little bit in depth to what terry cruz has been saying and um has he been canceled from uh there, all of that stuff now? he hasn't i don't think he's been canceled yet but he's he's working on it he's he's trying hard and he's holding true he said he's going to die on this hill that's that's what he said Good he said he him. was willing to die on the hill and he has had the exact same argument that we've been talking about that you can believe that black lives matter but not support the organization of black lives matter which is exactly what he's been saying and he also said that it did not need to morph into Black Lives Better, which reminded me of a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. saying that black supremacy was just as dangerous as white supremacy. And any so ethnic or racial any supremacy of any wrong. individual over another individual or group over another group is dangerous. And so the, the actual goal needs to be that everyone is equal. So we'll be talking about what Terry Crews had to say. But first let's uh <laughs> let's talk about coronavirus we didn't get to any coronavirus stuff yesterday and um i thought it had died out but the pun. resurgence yeah it is uh listen there's obviously here. there's a lot of cases but the thing that you're not hearing a lot about from the news unless you're following you know some kind of evil evil right-wing fascist news organizations the thing that you're not hearing is that the death 
rate is going down heavily and that the daily deaths are trending downwards very strongly. Mm. And that's very important. It's very important. And, and it, no, it's, it's not. No, no. It's all about the cases. Yeah. That's just how many cases it, are there. It would be really because if you play that logic out in your mind and it goes all the way down to no one is dying from coronavirus, but we have a million new cases a day. Do you still have the argument that we still have to be locked down and that we can't do anything? We can't go to school. We can't open businesses. You know, Trump needs to be removed from office and all this. Well, stuff. the answer to that question is easy, Nate. It's yes. Okay. Because virus is bad. Virus, virus, bad equals bad. Yeah. Viruses are bad. I'm anti-virus. So they're I'm, just trying to live their yeah, life. I'm <laughs> that's all they're trying to do. That's true. What about viral rights? Yeah, right. Do they have individual rights? I mean, just because well, we, we think we're superior, we think we're superior. This is human supremacy over viruses <laughs> that's what it that is. we're talking about right now. And that's why this is such a big deal. <laughs> so as the cases continue to rise, the more we, you guys shouldn't be doing anything right now. Yeah. Do no. less. Yeah. Stop That's oppressing the, the viruses, people. This <laughs> is ridiculous. Less. So from Newsweek, U.S. coronavirus daily deaths lowest since March. But don't get too excited. <laughs> I'm surprised they actually put that in the headline. Yeah. The headline. Hey, everything's going really well, but don't forget it might not. <laughs> New deaths from novel don't coronavirus. Don't forget we still have some fear mongering yeah. plays in our pocket. Come on. Don't take this as good news. New deaths from novel coronavirus in the U.S. reached a low of around 250 on July 5th. I thought July 4th was like the worst weekend that we had. Yeah, I don't know. Now, we'll see new deaths. Uh, you know, we'll get different numbers today. From what I can tell, Tuesday is basically the day that they finish inputting all of the data from the weekend. So Tuesdays typically have a lot bigger number. But still on the trend of Sundays, that's uh, still on the way down. And all of them have had that that same trend so it doesn't matter if tuesday is going to be higher it's probably not going to be high uh, as high as the prior tuesday anyway the lowest single day death toll reported since around late march but the figure is likely to have been impacted by the july 4th weekend with reduced reporting of virus data over the break the u.s saw 251 deaths on sunday according to the latest report monday by worldometer which compiles data from sources including local health departments and johns hopkins university this was the lowest daily death toll reported since March 24th, when 269 deaths were recorded, according to Worldometer. Weekends often see lower staffing levels at local health departments, testing labs, and hospitals, while some of these facilities may be closed. Therefore, <laughs> therefore the reporting... So now, it's <laughs> the data isn't real. That's... <laughs> That's what it is. The, I read this earlier. The data isn't real. I read this earlier because Trump is getting blasted because he tweeted out that says we have one of the lowest uh, mortality rates. Uh -huh. And so they're fact checking him. <laughs> and then inside the article, it said that uh, the data, what it said, something to the data not being uh, exact. So now when it doesn't fit the narrative, we're going to talk about how the data isn't correct, which, what, which is what we've been talking about this whole if mother truck in time if the data is something potentially good then the data isn't trustworthy Worthy. whatsoever if <laughs> it's something also, bad and also just so you know there's lower staffing levels at the health departments and hospitals on the weekends yeah so, just so you guys know it's hard to trust these numbers because it's weekend numbers yeah and people just don't go to the hospital on weekends yeah well time will tell i also saw an article from the 
the New York Times earlier saying something about the death rate, and they're like, and it's it is now under five percent, and I'm like, you know, the the CDC is literally saying it's 0.2 percent. You know, like it's yeah. it's roughly zero percent for people under the age of 45. I mean, it's barely anything. But now contrast that with I didn't put this in the show notes, but I, I remember reading this this morning. Contrast that with this article from Newsweek, which the headline reads Florida teen who contracted coronavirus dies after mother took her to church party, then treated her with hydroxychloroquine. Got it. Yeah. Got to get the, that narrative out there. So this. Oh, this is just how they spin it. Even though they're now, I saw more. I saw articles last week saying that hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine might be working. Actually, someone posted it in our private group. I can't remember uh, who who posted well, that. Well, look at the but, key words here. First of all, it's not Florida man, which is usually it is, but yeah. Florida, it's teen. Yeah, that's a key word. Uh, obviously, coronavirus and dies, and then mother took her to church party. So. But what's interesting, let me read just a little bit of this for you. Uh, a Florida medical examiner's report has raised questions about a 17-year-old Fort Myers resident's death from COVID-19 complications last month. The teenager, Carson Davis, was a cancer survivor with a rare, <laughs> also had a rare ongoing autoimmune disorder. She died of respiratory failure after contracting the new coronavirus in early June. The medical examiner's report notes that Davis attended a 100-person church event where people were not required to wear face masks roughly two weeks before she died. I I don't understand. I thought it took two weeks just to have symptoms. Yeah. So how did she get the virus at that church party and then died two weeks later? That's quick. I don't know. But. This What's is funny what, is if she would have attended they, the protest, they wouldn't have said a single thing about yeah. where she went. This at is all. what they do. They use an, an anecdotal, you know, empirical one single case to strike fear in everyone and be like, see, it's not just old people dying. It's 17 year olds that die, too. Yeah. And uh, and they die from church. So don't go to church. Don't go to church. This is what this whole it's so protests only crazy to me how they how they do this. And this is see, this is the type of messaging that we need to be good about. We need to be taking a story from the we need to write about the 102 year old who contracted coronavirus and survived. Yeah. And talk about how miraculous it was. And that way you can take one anecdotal piece of evidence and spin the narrative in your favor. This is what they do. It's just to me, it's so mind boggling. I don't I went on to read the rest of it, but I just thought it was funny how we have that article from Newsweek. Right. That was. Yeah. From Newsweek. And then contrast it with another article from yeah. Newsweek. Florida teen who contracted coronavirus dies after mother took her to church party. Yeah. What? The uh, video is starting to skip now, so I'm going to I'm gonna get out of all my trading software uh, while we're doing this. I got to get a new computer. It's on the list. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I'm sick of this. Sick of it, man. Sick of it. Getting rid of this computer. You can just fix that one. ASAP. I already, I already doubled the RAMs in it. I put a Hemi in her. <laughs> So anyway, okay, so Charlie, tell me about what BS Bernie Sanders said, because of course, Target raised their minimum wage to $15 an hour, and it was triumphant, and everyone was happy, and things are trending upward, except for Bernie Sanders, mm -hmm. because what is it that Bernie Sanders wants? More. So he wants more. It's That's always, the answer. Yeah, it's always more. Yeah. And uh, before he dies, it'll be higher than this, but yeah. This is not dumb bleep of the week, but it may qualify. We may continue. It'll we be, may put it in there on there, Friday. Yeah. This is from uh, BS himself. Uh, he tweeted out, 
If Target just did it, you can be damn sure Walmart, owned by the wealthiest family in America, can raise its starting wage to $15 an hour. <laughs> so That's, the reason I put it in here is because there's still there's this extreme disconnection between the wealth of people who own stock in a company and the the actual profits of that company. There's a there's a very large disparity between those two things. You know, Tesla just became profitable like like last month. Like they just became like profitable. Last week. Yeah, like last <laughs> week. They became they profitable. They just had their highest deliveries ever. But they've been worth literally they were worth more than GM and other car companies combined and they had never profited any money. Uber worth 30, 40, 50 billion dollars. Never made profit ever, ever before. Now, Walmart obviously makes profit. That's not what I'm saying. Walmart makes profit and the Walton family is worth a lot of money, but the Walton family owns over 50% of Walmart and Walmart stock. stock is and Walmart stock is worth a lot of money. Walmart's profit margin is still around 2%. And we've done the math several times. You can go to all kinds of videos and podcasts where we've talked about you this. You actually had one of them viral videos. I did. Yeah. I got Those viral videos. Lives matter. Few, few hundred, few hundred thousand plays on the video where I was talking about how uh, the CEO pay for Walmart doesn't affect what the workers make whatsoever. It's inconsequential to what the workers are able to make. And also how much money a company is profiting or what they are worth doesn't have anything to do with whether or not they'd be able to pay $15 an hour either. We've done the math on this with the amount of employees that Walmart has at the current amount of hours that they that they have. If, if everything were the state the same, Walmart would not be able to afford to pay their workers $15 an hour. They would lose about $12 billion a year if everyone kept the same hours, the same amount of employees, and they raised everyone up to $15 an hour. Just because they've got 6,000 stores and they're making, you know, billions of dollars a year, they're, they're grossing, you know, five, $600 billion a year or something like that. And, and I can't remember what their net is, but, but anyway, it, it doesn't mean that they just automatically have money to be able to do this. And what you will see is, They'll gradually raise up their wage. They'll decrease hours for everyone. They'll get those little robots in and stock all the shelves. They'll keep having more self-checkouts. And the 20% of the remaining staff will be able to make $15 an hour. And everyone will say that this is a massive win. And at the end of the day, you'll see people are making less money. A lot less people have jobs. And actually, we did not win as a society yeah. when that happened. So Target is in a different financial position than Walmart is. Which one of those would you say has more... Uh, expensive stuff between Walmart and Target. Probably Target. Their prices are higher. Their prices are higher on everything. Mm -hmm. Okay? So there's a reason that Walmart is able to keep things so cheap. And one of them is that their workers are barely affordable right now, but they're still affordable. At I the think moment. the average wage is like ten fifty, isn't it? Um they raise it eleven is the 11. minimum now. Yeah. For Walmart. So I'm sorry, but my experience at Walmart, every, I'm not going to say everyone, but most of the people I've dealt with at Walmart are lucky to be making $11 an hour. Yeah. They, they really are. They're lucky to still have a job. So it's, I'm, you know, the, you see this at fast food restaurants and places like Walmart and all that. And how many times have you had something just go terribly wrong? And you're like, and this freaking person wants to be making, you know, what an EMT is making. Right. Or, or more, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. If, if I can't get 
my double cheeseburger correct. Well, if they made more money, Nate, they would be nicer. That's yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. Or you could take the responsibility on yourself to earn that wage and become someone who is so valuable to the company, mm. uh, much like the CEO of Walmart did, who started off stocking shelves at Walmart and moved himself all the way up to becoming the CEO of Walmart. Like you could put yourself well, on that path. It's because he's white to. though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I forgot about that. You keep forgetting about those, those types of things. You know, Thomas Sold did a good job talking about this. Of course. Um, you know, I just watched a video from him yesterday or the day before where he talked about minimum wage and he talked about how it artificially, um, creates more applicants because the price is higher than it should be. Mm -hmm. And so that actually leads to racial discrimination because if you have a hundred people apply for a job and you have, you know, 50 of them are white and 50 of them are black and they all have the same qualifications. Well, the likelihood that the black person is going to get hired is lesser now than it would be. Well, the not, not necessarily lesser, but the chances are a lot different as, as opposed to if you only had five applicants and the highest qualified person at that price was a black person. The business owner doesn't care. They, what they care about is are the profits. And the, that's what he talks about. The employment rate for young uh, young black men in the forties was higher than it is right now. Yeah. You know, and listen, I don't want anyone to be discriminated against because of their race when it comes to what their wages are or anything. But when you artificially raise the minimum wage, what you do is you create a competition and you create an environment. Well, where the, the owner of the business or the manager, whoever it is, is going to have to weed through all of the applicants. And what you're going to do is you're going to cut out people who have maybe lower education, lower skills, someone who hasn't had a job yet, um, someone who doesn't have a car, so they might not be able to make it to work sometimes. Whatever the reasons are, whenever you set an artificial minimum wage that those people have to be paid, you end up cutting out a lot of people who might not actually be worth that much money to the company. And if the employee is not worth at least what the minimum wage is to the company, then they're not going to get the job because the point of hiring employees is to be able to make a little bit more money for every single person that you hire. And if the more people you hire, the more money you lose, then you will not expand your business. So that it's it just don't make no sense. You can read more, go in depth on that with uh, the book called Discrimination and Disparities by Thomas Sowell. If you want to read, you know, from a, a black person who has a PhD, uh, discrimination, <laughs> your brother on that one, discrimination and disparities. Oh, I already sent it to him. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so okay. Todd makes a good point here. He said labor costs are always the largest expenditure of a business. McDonald's is developing burger flipping robots. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I've been seeing that all over the place. And they'll continue to do this. They'll continue to innovate and they'll continue to create their labor to be more efficient because that's what businesses do. They look to lower costs. There's two ways you can increase the bottom line. Two ways you can do it. You can save money by innovating and becoming more efficient, or you can also um, you know, increase your pricing or increase uh, the amount of customers or something like that, increase your revenue. So you either increase the revenue or you increase efficiency and reduce your cost. And that, what that, what does that do? Well, that increases the bottom line. And if you do both of those simultaneously, which is what a lot of these large corporations do, and they're very good at it, then you ultimately make more money. What, what people need to realize is if you think you can be replaced by some type of a software code, whether it's inputted into a robot or it's inputted into a, into a computer system or something like that, if you think you can be replaced by 
some type of coding, then you need to be looking at increasing your value in different ways that you can make money because this is this is going to happen whether you want it to or not. It's going to happen. So let's talk about Terry Crews real quick. Um, Terry Crews, if you don't know him, I mean, he's currently on, what is it? Is it Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Is that what, what he's uh, starring on right now? Uh, one of my one of the things I remember him most for was um, the Longest Yard, the remake of that. He was the guy that always had the McDonald's burgers and stuff like in his pants and everything. And uh, he's, he's a funny guy. He's been in a bunch of Adam Sandler movies and stuff like that. Um, really, you know, really funny guy. And uh, seems like a really seems like a good dude. You know, I don't know him, um, but seems like a good dude. And he has been uh, basically tweeting that we needed to be careful in the support for for Black Lives Matter as far as the movement goes and the organization goes. So he's obviously catching a lot of flack for this. And he was on CNN the other night talking to Don Lemon, who is who is now going to have to scold him for not going along with the views. It's an eight minute video and we might skip through it some or only listen to the first few minutes of it. But there's a lot of really important talking points that we've been making the whole time. So it's, it's a really important video. So let me... Mr. Add. Producer. It's ready to go. Cue up. Everybody, hold on. We've had a technical difficulty. I'll talk to the producer about it. Yeah, you're going to have to yeah. um, maybe get a new producer. Listen to no? this segment because actor and activist Terry Crews facing backlash for tweeting, we must ensure Black Lives Matter doesn't morph into Black Lives Better. Here's how he explained it. Uh, are, we, are all white people bad? No. Are all black people good? No. Knowing this reality, I stand on my decision to unite with good people, no matter the race, creed, or ideology. Uh, given the number of threats against this decision, I also decide to die on this hill. Terry Cruz joins me now. Terry, man, hey. you stepped in it. <laughs> you say that you're willing. Yeah. To, you say you're willing to die on this hill. You've taken a lot of heat for this. Explain what you were thinking uh, and why it's so important that you die on this hill. Well, again, and I want to bring up the fact that, you know, there are some very, very, you know, militant type forces in Black Lives Matter. And what I was issuing was a warning. You know, it's one of those things where I've been a part of different groups. I've been a part of different things. And you see how extremes can really get can go far and can go wild. And then when you issue a warning and when a warning is seen as detrimental to the movement, how can you ever, ever have checks and balances? Um, you know, in, in the 60s and 70s, airplanes went down all the time. And the reason they found out why they did was because the pilots could never be questioned. And when you have the leaders of the Black Lives Movement who are now talking about, you know, if we don't get our demands, we're going to burn it down. Uh, other black people who are talking about working with other whites and other uh, other races, they're, they're being viewed as sellouts or called Uncle Toms. It starts to start you start to understand that you are now, you know, being controlled. You're not being treated as loved. You're actually being controlled. Someone wants to control the narrative. And I viewed it as a very, very dangerous self-righteousness that was developing that you know, that, that really viewed themselves as better. It was a, almost a supremacist move. So let, let me jump where in, Where they viewed that, that 
black their black lives mattered a lot more than mine. Okay, so let me jump in here. There's a lot that you said. Um, you you think Black Lives Matter is you said it's a you think it's an extreme movement because it's now part of the no. What this is the thing. It's a great mantra. It's a true mantra. Black lives do matter. Matter. But when you're talking about an organization, you're talking about the leaders. You're talking about the people who are responsible okay, for I putting got you. these I things got you. together. I got you. So let me. It's but you, you, Terry, you realize that even during the civil rights movement, that uh, Dr. King was seen as extreme. That movement was seen as extreme to people who don't want to make change. Um, movements are seen as extreme. You can paint them easily as an extreme when they are not. This is very true, but also you know, when you're talking about MLK, you talk about Nelson Mandela and even Malcolm X, they all realized that you had to have a non-racial component to these kind of movements or there will be resentment. There will be get back. There will be one of these people will tend to listen. I don't want to move from one oppressor to the next. And one thing is really who's, shocks who's me. the next when oppressor? At, who's the next oppressor? Oh, when I when I describe this, when you look in the city of Chicago, there are nine children who died by gun violence, by black on black gun violence with from June 20th all the way to today. And you're talking about even with the Atlanta child murders, there were 28 kids who were, who died during, in two years. You're talking about a month and you have nine black kids. And the Black Lives Matter movement has said nothing about this. What does kind that of have thing? to do you know, with equality, though, Terry? I have to tell, I don't understand what that has to do with equality because they're there. Listen, there's crime. There are people in those communities who are those people aren't just being nonchalant about about gun violence. I lived in Chicago. There are many people who are working in those communities to try to get rid of the gun violence. It's pr the gun culture in this, in this country is prevalent, but I don't understand what that has to do with a movement that's for equality for black people. It's, it, it, there, it's not mutually exclusive that if you care about equality for black people, that somehow you're going to stop um, random violence or unfortunately kids from being shot. It just seems like apples and oranges. You know, it, 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 it's not that way. You know, this is the thing, Don. You know, black people need to hold other black people accountable. I said this the same thing. This is a, a, the black America's version of the Me Too movement. If anything is going to change, we ourselves need to look at our own communities and look at each other and say this thing cannot go down. And, and this is the thing, too. There are a lot of great, great people there who are held hostage, who are held hostage by people who literally are, are, are running these neighborhoods with violence and then claiming that Black Lives Matter. When you look at the parents of these little kids who are mentioning, saying, hey, man, why aren't they speaking up for me, too? And, and this is what I'm saying. It's, it, when I look at this whole thing about, you know, it's about who is controlling the narrative. It's, not, it, it's got to be all Black Lives Matter. And what's happened is that because I even challenged it, because I even questioned and warned okay, people, Terry, I, I became sick. Like I, if I, I told get you it. to wear a mask, but Terry, they want to kick you out. You're, you're a high profile person. You're writing things out there. You know you're going to get backlash. You know people are going to respond to what you're Okay. So, like I said, it's a really good video. Uh, there are still a couple minutes left, but...
willing to play the whole thing. Well, according to most people, though, if you're just listening to famous black people that disagree with a grand narrative, then you're just you're just you're just looking for your confirmation bias, Nate. Well, what <laughs> you know exactly? It's your con- I'm looking for my confirmation bias right now. But he made a lot of really good points. The problem is amazing points. If there are black people who stand up against this, they get called all kinds of terrible racist names right now. Literally, Snoop Dogg put out a post with uh, all kinds of different, you know, famous black people on it. I know Candace Owens was on it. I know a lot of different people were on it and when called them all called them all coons and and that and that's what they were. And so now you can get just call the name if you're if you're a black person out there that is against whatever this narrative is and if you're against violence if you're, yeah and that's <laughs> the thing so one of the important things i thought he said i wrote down some notes as the video was going on um the very the one of the first things he said was that um this it what about checks and balances because all all sides are important in an issue it's something i remember jordan peterson talking about like the right is important and the left is important and they need each other like the the left needs to make sure the right doesn't go too far and the right needs to make sure the left doesn't go too far and really we should all just be libertarians i added that last part in there (laughs) but what about the checks and balances what about what what if you need to speak up when something is going too far what if you need to speak up when someone who is simply white is just being beat up in the street because of what the current narrative is right now? And then people are on edge all the time and they're pulling guns on people when, when you know, Charlie would like to put them in prison for doing that. Like there's... That's not true. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it, you got to have the checks and balances. And then he mentions that you're being controlled by the narrative, that you're being controlled by people who say that you can't have a certain opinion. And he feels like he's being controlled by this and he can't have a certain opinion about this because there's only one opinion that is valid right now. And then, you know, the next thing he said that I thought was really important. He's like, I don't want to move from one oppressor to another. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's the, you have to be careful of those who are out there seeking power. That's exactly, that's the warning that he's giving because the black lives matter organization if you read it on their damn website, they are a an oppressive Marxist organization. They they are want, trained Marxist. Yes, that want to destroy. One of their goals is to to destroy the nuclear family, which is weird because if you look at the data, the people who have the most problems, white, black, it doesn't matter, are the are people who have fatherless homes. Mm-hmm. Statistically speaking, if you look at the data, those the 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 kids that are not a part of a nuclear family where they have both parents in the household or they at least have a father that's involved in their lives, the, the, that person does worse in life. Well, that, I mean, that applies if you looked at all the school shooters and, and mass shooters, the, all the white kids that have shot up schools. Exactly. I mean, like, Same almost thing. All of that's them what I said. were missing fathers in the home. There's no racial discrimination about missing fathers. And um, the, the other important thing, you know, they talked about, he said, well, you know, Dr. King and, and other civil rights leaders were seen as extreme also in their time. There's a difference. You can't just say because people thought that what MLK Jr. was doing was extreme means that you can't say that Black Lives Matter is extreme because they don't have the same message and the same goal. And what Terry Crews brought up was that the message of Dr. King was that we were all 
one people and that race shouldn't matter and that you should be judged by the content of your character and not by the color of your skin. And, and that was the message was love for everybody. Everybody mm -hmm. love everybody. So there's a difference. Sure, you can say, well, they said MLK was extreme too. That's not excuse for anything that is ever extreme. That's That doesn't mean that anything that people call extreme is now okay because people also said that MLK was extreme. That's not a good argument. And like I said, that brought up the idea. I remember one of his most famous speeches, uh, King said that, that black, suprem black supremacy was just as bad as white supremacy. And that's what a lot of people are seeing out of this movement, including Terry Crews, seeing that this is turning into black lives better. I don't think that that's what everyone thinks who no. thinks this. That people think uh, black people have been disenfranchised, discriminated against, and that and they they're have. not treated equally, and that we need to get everyone on an equal playing field. But there's a difference in trying to make sure that that black people are on an equal playing field by by finding ways to lift them up or making sure they're on an equal playing field by finding ways to bring white people down. Those are those are two different ways of leveling out a playing field. It's the same premise almost. It's do you care more about equality or do you hate white people more? Like which one which yeah. one is it? Yeah. Do you, so do, you actually, do you actually care about equality or do you just hate white people? They don't love black people as much as they hate white people. Exactly. There's, that's, that's the right sentiment. That, that's the problem. And then the other thing that Don Lemon said that was ridiculous that I wrote down was that, yeah, there's a problem in Chicago with the gun culture, that there was a gun culture problem in Chicago and, that, and that's what it was. This has nothing to do with a gun culture in Chicago at there are guns all. everywhere. There are guns everywhere. If guns were the problem, you would see this problem yeah. everywhere. There's a difference in Chicago than everywhere else. And it doesn't have anything to do with guns. I bet you Chicago does not have more guns per capita than a lot of other cities all around the country that do not experience 120 shootings over a weekend and 20 people being killed like Chicago does. I mean, if you were the, I'm going to pull the numbers sometime when I get some time, but you got to realize, you know, last year, according to the Washington Post, you got 15 unarmed black people that were killed by police officers. And I don't know what the full number is. Let's say that data is not right. Let's say it's 30. I don't, I don't know. How many people have been killed in, in Ch just Chicago alone in the last month and all the violence that's been going on with black on black crime? Like, does that not matter? Does a black person's life only matter if it was taken by a white person? And then if it's a black person that took the black person's life, who cares? That's okay. Fair game. I mean, what's the message here? What, what, what am I missing here? Do black lives matter or do they not? Yeah. That either they do or they don't. And you can't say that black lives only matter if a white person took their life. That's That can't be the message. And Terry Crews said that, that, uh, that, Dr. King and Mandela and even Malcolm X said that this did not need to be a, a racial movement, that it needed to be a, a, a people movement towards peace and love. And that's what it needed to be, because if you made it based on race, then it was just going to cause a bunch of hatred and resentment. And blowback. that's what you're just going to be blowback. Right. That's, that's what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And there will be like I've, I've, I've said yesterday and I'll admit I have a gun. Okay. It's right here. Whoa. It's right there in that backpack. Okay. I can almost reach it right now. It's two feet away from my hand. I don't normally carry my gun around with me all the time because it's it's inconvenient. 
Did you not see the sign on the door at the office? No, I didn't. Is it on that door over there? Man. Gun-free zone? Yep. I, well, I took it down. So, <laughs> sorry. I went in the other door. That's what it was. But anyway, I've been carrying around a gun with me. I live in a, in a mostly black town. Okay. And recently, I've been telling my wife, we need to carry a gun. And it's not because we hate black people. It's because I'm worried that I'm going to be stopped randomly on the side of a street and I'm going to be drug out of my car and beat to death. And just because you're white, just be just simply because they, I'm don't, white. they have no idea that you're one eighth Asian. <laughs> and that's the thing. You yeah. know, I'm only three quarters white in total. OK, maybe I should put a sticker on my car or something like that. Carry some ideas. Yeah, something like that. But and maybe that's, you know, someone who is in the movement would say, well, that's how black people feel all the time. OK, well, let's say that is how black people feel all the time. Does it is is the answer to make white people feel like that all the time? Is that what the answer is to make white people fear for their lives because they're white? Is that an actual answer that is going to lead to a nice, peaceful, prosperous, loving society where everyone gets along? Or should we be trying to fix the problems with without picking out random people and, and getting in arguments with them and beating the crap out of them and stuff like that. Right. So this is going to lead towards resentment and blowback. And I'm not walking around resentful or, or angry with anyone, but I'm definitely walking around armed more often than I am. And it's because I'm white and I live in, in, in an almost all black town. And when I go into a grocery store, I'm one of the only white people in there. And I feel like I could be a potential target just because I'm white right now. And I don't feel like I deserve that. And maybe it's not even true. Maybe I'm not a potential target anywhere, but that is definitely the sentiment that you get right now. I feel like, you know, I'm not saying it's true for everyone that, you know, that all black people feel this way or whatever. I definitely think that there is a very, very loud minority. I don't mean minority like, race i mean like a smaller group of people that are that are being Inside played in the, the media BLM right now movement, yeah. yeah and that that you we get more videos of the violence and and that those things are amplified to the top of the trending news i don't think it's indicative of the entire society that you should be scared every time that you walk somewhere just like i don't think that a black person should be scared for their life every single time a police officer is called if that were actually the case then that video we played yesterday where uh, those the black women were arguing with a white couple and they ended up saying call the police well if they truly felt that a police officer was just going to show up and shoot them because they were black they the idea of call the police would have never been in your head ever because if i call the police they're going to kill me and so you would never yell call the police if if you were a black person because they're going to show up and kill you that's what they're going to do so what we've seen in the media from people being killed by cops is also not indicative of the society. And I think most black people know that too. So anyway, I, I just thought that was a pretty interesting video. Todd said nine children under 18 have been shot dead in Chicago since June 20th. Good Lord. June 20th. That's two yeah. weeks. Two weeks. It's crazy. A little over two weeks. That's insane. Totally crazy. That's absolutely insane. And no, you know, no one cares. One of our biggest videos on TikTok right now is a clip from The Dark Knight where the Joker is talking about how um, people freak out when things don't go, go according to plan. But if it goes according to plan, he even says, like, if I tell you that a gangbanger is going to be shot somewhere, like, no one cares. No Everyone one bats just, an eye. No one bats an eye about it. No one cares. But if I, and, you know, in this situation, he's like, if I tell you that one 
mayor is going to be killed and everyone loses their mind. And he's making a very good point there. We're all accustomed to the idea that around 50 or 60 people are going to be shot in Chicago this weekend. And everyone knows that. Some of them are going to be kids. Maybe between 10 and 20 people are going to die from gun violence in Chicago this weekend. And because that is the norm, no one cares. There's no movement about it whatsoever. No one cares that it's all, that it's, I would say all, I would say mostly black people killing black people. You know, when mostly when you, gang violence, and mostly gang violence, none of that drive by shooting because it's it's all part of the part of the society that we've all accepted so far. And Wes says, I care. I care, too. I'm I'm frustrated that, you know, something like police brutality, which is bad and we should stop it. We're against it. But where 15 unarmed black people are shot by police in 2019 is the driver of this massive Marxist movement that's happening right now, but literally that many people are going to die in Chicago this weekend, uh, from, or, or more, or more. Yeah, and and the, that means that there's no consistency, no logic. There's there's no underlying principle behind the argument at all, except for I hate white people more than I love black people. And a lot of times you'll get pushed back and say, "Well, if you." If you're bringing up black on black crime, you're just trying to minimize the, you know, the the problem that that the BLM movement is vocalizing currently. And it's not actually it's actually making the argument stronger. Like when you say black lives matter, when I say black lives matter, I mean all black lives. Maybe we should say that all black all lives them. matter. Yeah. Not just the black lives matter, not just the black people that are killed by white people or yeah. white cops. It's all Black Lives Matter. Doesn't matter who kills them. I would all I Black would post, Lives Matter. I would post that hashtag, but you would get a lot of flack for saying that because you're trying to take away from the movement, or you're trying to point a finger at on you know black on black crime when when you say that. So which is absurd. You're doing that out of your white fragility. That's, yeah, that's all it is. So anyway, do we have time you know to go through hilarious? this last thing? Can I can I just say one thing I thought you about can. yesterday? I will allow it. Yeah. I want to say one thing I thought about yesterday because you brought up white fragility. So the whole premise of that book is is hilarious to me because the person who wrote it was white and she's a she's a proclaimed racist because she's white self self proclaimed. She says she has no other option. So my thing is, is that the entire book, I had an epiphany. The entire book itself is a contradiction of itself i tweeted this like a week ago did you yeah because she she basically because she's white and she wrote the book you can't take the book seriously yeah well the book is written out of racism and has racist goals behind it which would be holding black people down that is the only option because a racist wrote the book right so (laughs) everything all the ideas inside of it are out of a racist a racist goals that's that's all it is and what would a racist goals be it would be to further your race. And so whatever the idea behind the book is, is to be anti the black movement yeah. because it was written by a white racist. How to, <laughs> so, how to cancel yourself. Yeah. By, <laughs> Completely by De- contradictory. By D'Angelo. Amazing. <laughs> so real quick, real quick, because we only got a few minutes here. Maybe we'll spend another, some more time on it tomorrow. The, uh, I, I, looked on, I looked on Twitter last night and Ayn Rand was twi- was trending on Twitter. And not just like my Twitter, you know, where they show you what's trending and it shows you what they think you would care about. 
it was Ayn Rand trending on actual Twitter last night um, because the Ayn Rand Institute came out that the Ayn Rand Institute received between $350,000 and a million dollars from the stimulus, the PPP, the uh, Paycheck Protection Program. And of course, everyone's talking about how hypocritical this is. I wanted to know what your guys' thoughts on this, on uh, something like the Ayn Rand Institute applying for and receiving money, upwards of a million dollars from the PPP. Now, uh, Yaron Brook, who I don't know if he runs the Ayn Rand Institute or if uh, he's just really high up there. I'm not sure. Um, he's got a podcast and everything. Go check out Yaron Brook. Brooks or Brook. I don't know. Anyway, so he put out this article and it's called To Take or Not to Take. So the, the idea here is whether or not people who have our viewpoints should take any government money when it's available. And... I wanted to know what your guys' thoughts are. And before I get all of your guys' thoughts, well, actually, tell me what your thoughts are on people on people taking that. So he says, uh, the CARES Act has created a moral dilemma for those Americans who value freedom. The pandemic has cost them their jobs, their savings, their businesses, and they blame a significant part of the loss on government. But, but because they oppose government handouts, they worry that accepting CARES money would be a breach of integrity. At the Ayn Rand Institute, we are dedicated to philosophic principle. And because we are, we will take any relief money offered to us. We will take it unapologetically because the principle here is justice. What the government would giveth, the government must first taketh away. The $2.3 trillion in relief going to some people means $2.3 trillion ultimately drained from savings, their own and the savings of others. The government doesn't run farms or factories. It's not a producer. Thus, rather than being mesmerized by a shower of checks and paper dollars, consider the actual goods and services the government funds will be spent on. Austrian economics teaches that inflation enriches those who get the new money first at the expense of impoverishing those who get it later. After prices have been bid up, inflation is not neutral. It benefits some by victimizing others. So, you got to go. This is, the, this is the first idea here. When they do stimulus money, when the Fed prints money and they give it out, the people who get the money first get the most benefit from the money because it hasn't been devalued yet. The first hands it goes into, they've got the most buying power from that money. And the more times it changes hands, the more the buying power decreases of that money. So the first people who get it are the ones who get the full buying power of the money before it's been spent. For advocates of freedom, individual rights, and limited government to turn down these relief funds means choosing to play only the victim's role in the government's bizarre game of loot and be looted. Embracing victimhood doesn't show integrity, only submissiveness. The times call not for timid difference, but confident self-assertion. It would be a terrible injustice for pro-capitalists to step aside and leave the funds to those indif indifferent or actively hostile to capitalism. It is anti-capitalist status policies that have turned the nature-made storm into a made-in-D.C. cataclysm. America's unpreparedness, the slowness of our response, and the Byzantine maze of regulations now blocking the production of sale of new tests and new treatments are the tragic legacy of this nation's century-long descent from capitalism into the entitlement regulatory state. And now we've seen what statism means for the general population, the placing of an entire nation under house arrest. 
The government wants to offer some relief to the public for damages caused by its own orders, regulatory agencies, and executive dictates. That relief comes down to sending out newly printed currency, wrecking everyone's economic calculations, and making your livelihood dependent not on your own productivity, productive ability, but upon your political connections. So, he says, in this context, it would be morally wrong for pro-capitalists to humbly step aside and watch the new money go only to anti-capitalists. That would turn justice upside down. So anyway, you get the idea. They took the money, and they are unapologetic about it. In fact, actually, Ayn Rand talked about the fact that she did, in fact, receive Social Security at the end of her life. And she felt that that was restitution at that point, that that was justice for her to receive it back. And she's always caught a little bit of flack for that. So, I'm, I've always been back and forth on this. We talked about this. And what I was going to say beforehand that I decided to say afterwards, after I got some of your guys' um, responses on it, um, we took some of the money. We got, we got a little bit of the money. So we also took it. My, my dad took it, um, because he has a business and you know, we, we talked about whether or not it was okay to do that before, fi- before filling it out. And my general consensus has always been that if the money is going to go somewhere, then you might as well get your hand in there and take it. And put it to productive use. Yeah, and put it to productive use. Try to minimize the economic catastrophe. (laughs) And try to minimize the waste. So this is something that uh, Ron Paul always got a lot of flack for. He was always big at the pork spending, but he was directing a lot of money to his district. That's one of the things that actually Chris asked us about Ron Paul uh, from We Are Libertarians when he was on the podcast. Well, what about all the money that Ron Paul got for his district? Well, the idea is, if the money is going to go somewhere, then should you take it for yourself and make sure it goes to productive uses instead of wasteful uses? To me, that is different than that's different than arguing for the creation of the money or going out there and saying we need the stimulus or the the government needs to pay out a bunch of money. Like if you're going out there as a person who holds our views and you're saying. The government needs to fix this. We need to create a new program, a stimulus program, and and send out some money. And then you take the money. To me, that's a little bit different because you were involved in pushing for the creation of that money, which will ultimately be, you know, taken back through taxation. So anyway, to me, there's a difference in it's, it's going to go somewhere. You not taking the money means nothing. It's still going to go to someone. So you not taking the money does nothing whatsoever to help your cause because the money is it's been signed the the bill is signed into law and it's going to go out. So to me there's there's a big difference in that. But of course people are out there talking about how um Ayn Rand the Ayn, Ayn Rand was hypocritical. I don't know if they all knew that she's dead, but um that yeah, right. about how hypocritical Ayn Rand was and you know there's the Ayn Rand Institute and she's not running it right now um, anymore. She could be from the grave. She and know. she said, she said, if this sounds like a paradox, the fault lies in the moral contradictions of welfare statism, not in its victims. So what what she's saying is, is that morally, it's not the victim's fault. You're victim blaming. It's the it's the contradictions and the paradox that lies 
within the policies of the of the welfare statism. Yeah. You can't victim blame the people. So all I would have to come up with is if we if we all thought that all of the libertarians refused to take any of the money, that in the next bill it would be a lower amount and they would pay out less money because all the libertarians refused to take the money. So therefore the next stimulus bill was going to be a lot lower and it was going to be a lot less printed money. If we all thought that, then I would say it would be right for us to refuse the money. But since we know that that's not going to be the case, that's not what's going to happen. The money's still going to get paid out. That we might as well get in there and get it. And in fact, when we talked about whether or not we we're going to take the money, I said you were saying, "Well, this is me getting some of my money back," which is an obvious thing to think. But of course, your money's gone. You know, the money is not in a savings account, and the government's paying it out right now. The government has a very large negative net worth overall. Well, actually, if you take all the the net assets of the of the country, I guess. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I know that our debt is more than the GDP, so I don't know what that actually comes out to. Um, but anyway, the you know they're not taking this out of savings. This isn't coming out of a an account that was started from your tax money and now is coming back to you. This is money that your kids or your grandkids are going to pay back for you eventually. So there's to me the kind of moral paradox that you're not getting back your money. Your money is gone. Your money's been put into a bomb, into a toilet seat, into into something. It's, it's been gun. set on fire already. It's already gone. So none of us are getting back our In money. In fact, the, my entire lifetime's worth of tax payments is probably already gone. Oh, it's gone. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's entirely gone. Immediately. They have one White House dinner and your entire life's of tax payments paid for the champagne at that dinner. <laughs> and it's gone. That's it. Yeah. So the, you know... I do have to push back against that argument. None of us that are taking the money are getting our money back. But it's your own in your own personal ledger. Like if you yeah. were keeping a spreadsheet of how much money I have sent the government versus how much the government paid me back, so to speak, it's still a massive negative balance. Yeah. Yeah. But but the problem is what you're saying, if you follow it all the way down to its logical conclusion, the money that you gave that you loaned to the government was already gone and there's nothing there to actually pay you back. And this money that's paying you back is not it's just your from, money. It's borrowed from it's someone else. Borrowed from someone down the line. Long after some other you're time. dead. You'll be gone. And the money that you're receiving right now is going to be paid by someone else. So I'm trying to play devil's advocate a little bit on this, just to get both sides of the argument out there. Um, at the end of the day, we did still decide to fill it out uh, because of the original reason I said the money is going to be paid out, and we would rather see it. We would rather see it go to productive uses and pro-capitalist uses, pro-liberty uses, so we can keep fighting the fight, and so the Ayn Rand Institute can keep fighting the fight, and maybe them getting that money is going to help. Uh, change some minds out there that could stop this from happening someday down the line. So isn't that a much better use of the money? If the money only goes to people who do not have our principles, then what's going to be done with the money and what's going to be the direction of the society if those are the only people getting that money? Man, so, her writing is so good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She says here, just to, to close this point out, she says, um, what is this? This is from... Uh, the trenchant analysis of statism. Uh, this is her position. She said, 
since there is no such thing as the right of some men to vote away the rights of others, and no such thing as the right of the government to seize the property of some men for the unearned benefit of others, the advocates and supporters of the welfare state are morally guilty of robbing their opponents. And the fact that the robbery is legalized makes it morally worse, not better. The victims do not have to add self-inflicted martyrdom to the injury done to them by others. They do not have to let the looters profit doubly by letting them distribute the money exclusively to the parasites who clamored for it. Whenever the welfare state laws offer them some small restitution, the victims should take it. That the second to last line there, the victims do not have to add self-inflicted martyrdom to the injury done to them by others. They do not have to let the looters profit doubly by letting them distribute the money exclusively to the parasites who clamored for it. That's good. So good. Yeah. She, she's, she's real good. She was really good. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we got to end the show. I do um, have to go. Yeah. Charlie's got, Charlie got to go. Um, if you guys are interested in learning how to day trade, I'm about to flip on my trading screen right after we get done with this and, and do some more trading. So, uh, it's been a, been a, you know, pretty good day so far. Started off with a rough day yesterday, but I've had six profitable weeks in a row. Um, so that's, that's been really good. And listen, anyone can learn this stuff. It looks hard. It's not as hard as you think. The hardest thing is going to be mastering your own emotions. Mm -hmm. Learning. I got really upset. You got mad this morning. (laughs) You slammed your computer shut. I did. You were mad this morning. And uh, the hardest thing is going to be managing your own emotions. Learning the skills, the the technical and mechanical skills of trading is the easy part for sure. This is all about psychology and self-discipline. Okay, so if you're interested in learning how to read charts, look at the patterns that we're looking for, look at support and resistance, you know, learn how to actually use the the brokerage software and all the strategies that we're using. And then, yes, talk a lot about psychology because it is the most important part for sure. If you're interested in doing that, then go to mastermytrades.com. Also, sign up for the live group at patreon.com slash Liberty. Get involved in this conversation. We've got over 100 comments again. We interact with the live group throughout the entire show. Of course, you guys hear it on the podcast, so you might as well jump in. Uh, before the price goes up on that too, because we're just living in an age when inflation is going to cause us <laughs> to rise, raise the price eventually. So you might as well get in while it's five bucks a month. Um, that's basically nothing. So sign up for basically nothing, $5 a month, and that'll get you in on the live group. And, uh, and then you get all, all, all kinds of free stuff for that $5 a month. That's what I like to say. Speaking of inflation, small thing. My dad told me they just found out. No one talked about it in Illinois. It was very well hidden in the gas tax bill, but it automatically goes up every year now. And that gas tax bill they passed last year. Jesus. Without without a new law or anything. It goes up with inflation every year. Wow. So okay. they didn't know that. That was not something that was talked about when they were debating the bill. It was it was a forty cent gas tax hike or something like that. Something crazy. And um and now it automatically goes up every single year and they're stuck in the law now. I can't wait for, it's the, crazy. for electric vehicles oh, man. <laughs> to come wipe away all that gas yeah. tax money. <laughs> They'll find a way to tax your miles yeah. or something. But anyway, like I said, sign up patreon.com slash good morning liberty. Get in on that live group and then share the show with a friend. Leave us one of those ratings and reviews. We're getting all kinds of news listeners coming in. So appreciate you guys subscribing. Appreciate you sharing the show and helping us spread this wonderful message of liberty. So if y'all do all of that, we'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you have a good day and a good morning liberty. Liberty.